Hello, my friends. Today we're talking to Corey, the CTO at Rocked, and we discuss how he helped create what is now a small industry around chaos engineering, how Rocked is integrating personalized recommendations into transactions, and how to create a space where people feel comfortable admitting they don't know something. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So, you know, I grew up around computers, uh, you know, typical, thought I was going to be a game designer for a long time. Uh, and then, you know, kind of got really into the internet and decided I wanted to go into security and be a hacker. Ended up in the, the DC area where I went to school and got a degree in, in CS and uh, ended up focusing in C, uh, computer security and, and thought like, this is it, I've made it. I'm gonna go into, gonna go into the NSA, I'm gonna go into the government. We're, we're gonna be seeing all the cool exploits, all the zero days. And then realized how much I, I did not enjoy that line of work <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and how uh, much I craved, you know, a little more openness, a little more, you know, customer facing and, and really wanted to kind of make that transition. So uh, pretty early on in my career, I transitioned over to startups. Ended up here in New York City. Did the whole startup thing, sleeping on the floor, sleeping on couches, you know, just making it work. Failed to start up. Definitely learned some lessons there. And then uh, ended up out in California one weekend and met some folks from Netflix. And they're like, just move on out here. Let's do it. Uh, and so... Two weeks later, I was moving out to Netflix and ended up there for about three years where I transitioned into uh, more of a reliability role and, and somewhat of a leadership role, kind of overseeing a lot of production outages, thinking about what that means for the business, how they scale globally, uh, which ultimately led into the work I did with uh, Chaos Engineering, you know, really on the kind of ground floor there. Chaos Monkey had already existed, but we ended up, you know, I ended up building out what was then known as Chaos Gorilla, uh, which simulates an availability zone failure, and then moving on into Chaos Kong, which uh, simulates a regional failure. And that really kind of drove, uh, it was based out of a lot of outages and learnings that they had had at uh, working on top of Amazon, uh, and really kind of drove uh, a lot of the migration into multi-region for them as they realized uh, AWS regions aren't as nimble as you would might, might think. From there, I ended up working with uh, building out a startup, left there and, and, and built out a startup that was building technology for nonprofits. This ended up working and basically running all of Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaigns technology from the ground up. Uh, everything from build deploy processes to uh, donations to events. Um, pretty much the entire data platform as well. And so built up that company for about three years, completely remote, was flying back and forth between New York and uh, DC or, uh, and uh, San Francisco. Uh, did that for about three years. And then obviously that didn't turn out the way we all hoped. Uh, things kind of went sideways at the end there. But we were a customer of Datadog for the entire time. And I've gotten to know the team there quite well. Uh, and they reached out. Uh, shortly after we we were kind of spinning things down and said, hey, move to New York, let's do this. Um, so I joined Datadog, inherited the SRE team, which was this, you know, a handful of folks, and then kind of built out what was the infrastructure org there, really led their migration into Kubernetes and containers, 
uh, and went through just a tremendous amount of growth in the time I was there in terms of just infrastructure and overall company. Um, you know, when I left, we were closer to a hundred folks within infrastructure and, uh, you know, a handful of teams doing a lot of different things from developer experience to, you know, compute uh, network to SRE, um, and, uh, and a number of other things as well. And so brought them you know, up to IPO and then took a year off. Uh, and then COVID hit the world and I decided to get back in the game. And, and here I am at Rocks. It's, uh, it's been an interesting year so far. I've, you know, definitely a, a bit of a turn for me in my career in terms of just the type of products I work on and, you know, be how close to the customer I've been in, in, in the past. Um, and I've loved it. You know, it's absolutely everything I wanted it to be and more. Dude, that is a crazy journey. Um, I want to hear a little bit more about a couple of different parts of that. So with the Chaos Kong, when you're talking about uh, simulating regional outages, is that like uh, Netflix was relying too heavily on like a centralized area of AWS's servers? Correct. Yeah, at the time, it, uh, we, were, we were multi-region, but they were fairly siloed. Uh, and so what we decided is like, it would be great if we could move customers between regions because there had been, you know, this is back in 2012, there had been a couple pretty significant AWS outages that had taken out entire regions, um, or, or at least services within regions that, you know, really kind of ended up being huge news stories for Amazon or for Netflix at the time and Amazon. And we decided, listen, you know, we think you know, Amazon is going to get there and they're going to build out their resiliency story. But at the same time, we want the levers as well to, to kind of choose you know, our own journey. A lot of complexity that went into that is just simply, you know, customer data and how do you kind of transition uh, that level of load? You know, the, when you think about just how much of the internet uh, is Netflix traffic, you know, seamlessly moving that amount of traffic from one data center to another is uh, not an easy task and can take some time. And, you know, spinning up tens of thousands of nodes just to handle the, the load is, is not an easy, easy thing. And so a lot of lessons learned there, you know, not exactly the most seamless of transitions when we first built it. Um, usually, you know, I think when we first did it, it was up to an hour. And quite frankly, clouds are not infinitely scalable. Sometimes you run out of nodes and you can't, you can't launch anymore. And so suddenly you're halfway through these exercises and Amazon goes, uh, there's no more computers, sorry. And so that was uh, <laughs> always interesting. Uh, I'm responsible for a pretty major AWS API outage that uh, <laughs> is a result of just the way their APIs work and, and the way that we were kind of transitioning these things. Uh, ended up breaking down Amazon for, <laughs> for a few hours. A lot, a lot of lessons learned there on both sides. And you know, Amazon was a really great partner to us and, and worked with us to try and figure out how to do that more seamlessly. And today, you know, if you look at what Netflix has been able to achieve and where that project's kind of evolved, it's fairly seamless when they when they transition traffic from one region to another. It's it really is a seamless global fleet of uh, computing, and that's something that I you know. Wouldn't have been possible. That's some of the work that I laid down the foundation for. But obviously, the team has taken it and, and really run with it over the last you know ten years. So super, super interesting. That's really cool. So is it like today, if uh, whatever server your show is running on goes out, it can just move you over to another one, and Correct. you don't even notice? Correct. That's nuts. That's yeah, really cool. It's, uh, it's pretty wild. Uh, some of the tech there is, is is really kind of top notch, and and obviously it's been evolved over the last you know. 15 years. And so they've had some time to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So one thing that I also picked out when you were just telling me about your story, you said you worked on the presidential campaign for three years. 
And I mean, for all I know, I'm only bombarded with ads for a year and a half. So how does, how did that happen? How does, what's it like getting approached by a campaign in what, what like 2013 for the 2016 election? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, mostly, you know, we had a, a serious investor who came in and, and, you know, ended up finding me and, and a few others and, and saying, Hey, I want to, I want to build technology for the nonprofit space. And, you know, ideally I'd love for it to be used within the next presidential campaign, whoever the candidate is. Uh, and so we just started building and honestly, we had no idea what we were, none of us had any, <laughs> any experience in campaigns. Quite frankly, I know to be perfectly blunt with you, I hadn't voted before that. <laughs> I was not the most social minded human being at, you know, at that time. I was a little younger, a little, a little dumber. And so, you know, I think the, the goal there was just build top notch tech, right? And that's something that has really not existed in the campaign space for a long time. And Obama made a bit of a splash in, in 2012. And, you know, when he ran and, and, and kind of built out his technology function, but they were still kind of always chasing, right? You know, there's only so much you can do in, in you know, the 18 months or so that, you know, exists of a campaign. And like you're constantly just chasing and putting out fires, uh, and so you know the goal here was to kind of get a bit of a you know a head start on this and to build a sustainable platform, and then to look at other applications for it. So we didn't just serve the presidential campaign; we ended up working with the Red Cross and the UNCF and uh, a couple other pretty serious organizations because generally they all try and build the you know very similar tech where you're raising donations, you're hosting events, you're collecting data and signups and interests, uh, and you're kind of building a narrative around a, a user base. And, and then kind of figuring out how to target and how to, you know, best, you know, get the most of that, you know, of that base that you have built. And so it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, especially as technology has kind of advanced over the last couple of years, things are more complicated. You know, the web is, you know, it's no longer just like build an HTML page and put it out there, right? It's, you know, you're building APIs and you're building platforms and there's security aspects and it's you know, progressive web apps and there's mobile. And so there's like a lot that goes into these things. Uh, and so, you know, really getting a head start there makes a ton of sense. And also like building a platform that evolves with time so that you're not, you're not constantly rebuilding the same thing and re reinventing the wheel every four years uh, made a lot of sense at the time. Yeah. So we, we did that for, you know, the first uh, eight, 12 months that I was there. And then, when it became clear that Hillary was likely going to be the front runner and the leader and, 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 and running, we ended up reaching out to her team and through you know, our investors and whatnot, we, we were able to kind of make that connection. Uh, and then we basically ran with it. You know, we set up their original AWS account and, and did the foundations and like, again, their build pipelines and just like, the, you know, all those things that just, you know, where do you start, right? How do you just start shipping code in a, into a campaign? And uh, obviously there's a lot of tools that have come out over the last couple of years that if I was going to do it again, we'd take a much different path. Probably wouldn't roll our own on all these things. But at the same time, you know, you know when we were talking about, you know, 2014, a lot of these companies just didn't exist. A lot of this tech didn't, wasn't necessarily there or, or was in its very infancy and we weren't, you know, sure if it would work or not or if they'd even be around, you know, by the end of the campaign. So, we ended up doing a lot of kind of building that, you know, the foundation and the building blocks there. It was uh, a learning experience, especially for me, you know, kind of building a company from scratch, building it completely remote, completely remote, you know, and, and we didn't have office space for the first 12 months I was there. And then when we did, like everyone was basically, you know, people would show up and they'd be like, oh yeah, I just had to come in this week. And then uh, you wouldn't see him again for another three, four months. <laughs> uh, really, really interesting model. You know, this was like before remote was really taking off and, Something I'm really proud of. You know, we ended up building that company out to about 50 people. Uh, wow. And it was, you know, it's quick, it's heavy. And then again, you look at the way campaigns get built out. You know, 
they have you volunteers show up day one and they're like, build technology, make the website, collect money. And you're like, how? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then there's like a lot of other technology in that space that, you know, from some companies that have been around that is like very old, very antiquated. And you're like, here's a SOAP API that I get to interact with. This is, this is going to be fun. (laughs) So yeah, very, very, uh, super interesting path. I, I don't regret it. Uh, obviously, obviously it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. Uh, shutting a company down is always tough and, and you have a lot of lessons learned there, but super rewarding experience, I think, for everyone who's involved. And, you know, I, I've ended up working with a lot of those folks over the last couple of years, you know, off and on. And, and you know, a couple of them are here with me at Rockton. So oh, it's awesome. pretty wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like you said, it, it had a lot of other, of other use cases with like, nonprofits in general and can be recycled for the next campaign and everything. So absolutely doesn't sound like a waste. Um, no, for, not at all. Yeah. Uh, a lot of lessons learned. And uh, a couple, couple of the guys that we were working with are still in the space. Uh, one of one of the guys I worked with ended up being the Joe Biden CTO for a part of time. And very, very interesting. Like that, that, that space is a super fun, super challenging. Uh, every day is the fire. <laughs> so you're constantly on your heels and you're constantly trying to like adapt and evolve. But, you know, a great group of people, people really care and they're passionate, not just in the, you know, the campaign space, but in the nonprofit space. You meet some really wonderful people. Yeah, that was one thing that uh, I didn't know about, like the business and the technology roles, like type job titles that exist within government until <laughs> like on this, on our podcast, we had Obama's CTO on... Um, uh, Harper? Uh, I, I believe so. Um, he, he was a uh, yeah, CTO of the United States. Like what? Yep. <laughs> a job? Um, super, super cool. Great group of people. Honestly, they care, you know, and they, they want to make things better, you know, for all of us. And that's something that I, I really admire. And it's wonderful to, you know, you get invigorated by, by being surrounded by those folks every day. You know, they, they create this atmosphere where you're like, oh, 14 hour day and I'm working on a Sunday. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I do not know if I could do that. So uh, let's uh, let's go back a little bit before you're working at Rock. Uh, you're you're sitting at at home in the pandemic, and you you have the idea like, huh, maybe I should get a job. I don't have much else to do. Why'd you pick Rock? Listen, yeah, that that absolutely is the case. I <laughs> I dragged my feet quite a bit. I was you know very much enjoying some time off and and relaxing, and not stressing <laughs> about computers. Um, it's been a, been a while since I've had a chance to do that. And so I really, you know, was very cautious about kind of getting back in the game. But quite frankly, I, I knew from one of my first conversations with our CEO that this place was different uh, and that this is a place I wanted to be. And, uh, you know, really, even then, I, I really took my time and did my due diligence. I talked to everyone. <laughs> I interviewed for three and a half, four months uh, just to be sure that I was like, do I really want to do this? Do I want to work again? And I don't, I don't regret that at all. I think I made the the right decision. I talked to a lot of other companies. I think Rock is is fairly unique in that, you know, we are a New York company through and through, and we we push and performance and like we really want to succeed and strive. And people here care about that, and they're they're bought into the mission and what you know the goals of the business. But we don't take ourselves so so seriously, and we take that step back, and we you know find that time to relax and enjoy the ride and and really get into it. I think that that's super important, right? If you're not if you're not having fun, if you're not enjoying it, if uh, you know if every day you wake up and you dread going to work, like it's not worth it. 
right? And and I think that we've managed to create a a place here at Rocked and a business where people enjoy coming in. They enjoy the people that are surrounded by every day. And that's something that is so, so important to me this time around. Yes, you can always drive and you can push, but like, I don't want to work with jerks. <laughs> I, I want to laugh a little bit every day. I want to go home and I want to feel accomplished. I want to feel good about what we did, even if we fail, right? Like we won't always get it right. And uh, you know, I want to celebrate those those moments and, and celebrate the learnings and then, you know, take that and come back the next day and, and apply it and move on. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So can you tell me a little bit about what Rocked does? Ultimately, you know, in my mind, I think Rocked is connecting different e-commerce providers to create a better experience for the end user. I think that, you know, we want the end user experience to be something that is enjoyable. We won't want to sacrifice that. Uh, we want to create opportunities uh, for everyone involved to, to further, you know, a transaction, to further that moment that you are checking out and say, hey, are you also interested in this? Are you, you know, is this something that you could potentially benefit you? Uh, whether that's you know, parking when you go to an event or ticket insurance or suggesting like a, a credit card, you know, potentially could run a credit card uh, or even, you know, some of these other aspects of like, do you want to, you know, we, we, we recognize that you sign up for Hulu. Do you want to, you know, get a, you want to try out Disney plus, do you want to try out uh, another streaming service? And I think that, uh, if you can do that, and you can cater it to the end user, and you can get really into who they are and what they're they care about. Uh, I think it does create a, a better experience for the end user, and then ultimately it creates more value for our partners. And uh, ultimately, it's it's a kind of a win 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 for everyone. So so it's like when you're checking out, uh, like for a concert or something, they'll it'll pop up like right after you got your ticket, like hey, here's also parking. Historically, so, that is that is where we kind of focused ourselves. Uh, what we're doing now is moving further into the transaction moment and creating opportunities to add parking to your cart. So it's a it's a seamless transaction, despite the fact that it is two different providers. Uh, we're kind of stepping in and helping facilitate the transaction between those two providers and connect the two in a way that is fairly seamless to the end user, uh, so that you know, that the friction there is is very very low and and the value to them is very high. Interesting. So to do that, you you have to build like another UX layer on top of... Exactly. Uh, we spend a lot of time, energy, and effort working on uh, our front-end web SDK to make sure that it works with a varying... Uh, the the front-end space at the moment is a very wild west uh, and has been <laughs> for some, some time now. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to implement websites, a lot of different approaches, and you know we build out uh, a tool set that works with everyone. Uh, and at the same time, it's very quick, very performant, uh, especially within e-commerce. You know, and, and that's ultimately what we're doing is we're connecting e-commerce providers. They care about performance, uh, especially some of the bigger sites and, and some of our bigger partners. To them, performance is everything. And, you know, kind of monkey brain clicks things that are fast. And that's uh, just kind of the way we all work. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we're ultra, ultra focused on that. And so keeping that ultra lean while being able to configure it to the nth degree so that it looks and feels like a seamless uh, experience for the end user so that it doesn't, you know, jar them and it isn't a jarring experience of, of, you know, the entire checkout process. Really, you know, recognizing that that checkout process is so, so critical, right? And, you know, and if you mess that up, you know, ultimately it results in dollars lost for everyone. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we're very, very cautious about how we influence that page, about our, how we touch it. And at the same time, you're also talking about a very highly secure experience. And so security ends up layering in very, very deeply to what we do. As we think about 
how do we how do we seamlessly make this happen while at the same time protecting the end user, protecting the data streams, uh, protecting the e-commerce providers because they're they're also very protective of their data sets. You know, we don't want to be in the business of being shady. I think we we really want to be a good partner here and a good partner, not just to our you know the customers we work with, but also the end users. Uh, I you know ultimately that's something that's really important to me, especially coming out of the security space. I don't want to be the front page of a newspaper saying, "Oh, Rock did this with this data set." Right? That's the last thing I want, and that's the you know the last you know view I want of us. Right? I want people to have trust and faith in us that we're going to be good shepherds of this as we think about how to use it and how to apply it to create a better experience. Yes. So, how personalized are the recommendations? Is it like uh, if two different people are buying the same thing, can they get recommended different stuff? Absolutely. Uh, we we really cater to the end user, and that's something that is really important to us. Uh, a lot of recommendation engines in the past have kind of bucketed human beings you know, based off of certain aspects and certain inputs into the you know algorithms. Our models and our machine learning are, are fairly advanced now, and, and they're getting more advanced on a daily basis as we kind of really tune that into who is the individual and what is important to them. Uh, and something that, you know, it's kind of our secret sauce and something that we are, we're very proud of. Uh, and, and again, I, you know, I look at that team and I look at what we're doing and we're taking that smarts and we're applying it to a lot of different aspects in the business. It's, it's really impressive. Uh, you know, anytime I can make a computer do work for us, I'm a big fan. It's less work for us. It's less things we have to tune and touch and change. Uh, and I, I, you know, we're seeing a massive amount of success you know, it gets us being a 300 person company, you know, it, it has kind of transformed our ability to really compete with the bigger players because we're putting you know so much smarts into everything that we do you know it, it's really a force multiplier internally yeah this is kind of making me think of um a while ago we had the cto of paypal on the podcast and uh my co-host joel asked him like what what does the future of payments look like and he said it's ambient um and when he explained that he gave an example of like when you ride an uber when do you pay it's like well you don't pay you just get out of the car <laughs> and it and you end up and like it charges you automatically and then amazon's implementing that with the stores where you just go in pick up some stuff and walk out and you you pay at some point somehow and this this sounds like it's like on that same trend of just making things more frictionless and, and more absolutely. seamless absolutely I, and that's something that we've you know also seen and we're actually you know working with partners like paypal and, and these big you know payment providers uh, and we're looking at you know some of the other options that are kind of in that space, the buy now, pay later, et cetera, and figuring out how can we seamlessly integrate those for the end user, knowing what is in, you know what is their preference, right? What is what is it, what are they more likely to choose? Uh, and being able to provide that and guide them through that, you know, it, it does it again. It's we're reducing friction in the checkout process. We're reducing friction in the entire experience, and ultimately that you know leads to a happier customer, you know, uh, and then ultimately that leads to you know, more purchases. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, people buy things from people they like and they, you know, they tend to be repeat customers. And that's something that you know, we want to help our partners get to. And so we're constantly looking at opportunities like that. And I think that that ultimately is the evolution of this entire space. I think we're ahead of the curve and I'm pretty proud of that. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I think what we're doing right now and who we're working with is, is seeing the benefits of this already today. But yeah, definitely, definitely keeping a very close eye on this you know, globally because I do think that you know, you're going to see a massive shift in e-commerce uh, as we kind of barrel that direction on all fronts. Yeah. So 
Are you still doing any chaos engineering today at uh, at Rocked? We are, uh, and and it's <laughs> for better or worse, it has followed me through my entire career. Um, <laughs> you know, this has kind of spawned an entire you know industry to some extent. There are companies out there that have like built themselves on chaos engineering. We talked think, to one a while ago, uh, Gremlin. Gremlin, yep. Um, yeah. Very familiar with those guys. Uh, know quite a few of them. A couple of them worked with me and uh, at Netflix. Um, very, very interesting. You're seeing that space evolve, not just from like, hey, turn the computer off and see what happens or cut the network and see what happens, but like other fina- failure scenarios and injection of failures into real-time runtimes and understanding how the system reacts to it. I think every company goes through a journey of deciding how much of that they're going to do. You're also seeing a lot of that technology and the thought processes that came out of that from, you know, back in the day, circuit breaking. And, you know, you're seeing a lot of that applied to like the cloud native space and what's happening there in the infrastructure space uh, around Kubernetes and the sidecars that are kind of popping up. It's a pretty interesting evolution. I think, you know, I think it's a healthy one for the industry. It's something that rather than having to tack it on as an after fact, like you're, you're just building it with the baseline. It's already there. And I think that that's ultimately the way we need to go as an industry. Uh, and I think you know, companies like Gremlin are pushing that uh, agenda. And I think that, you know, again, in the cloud native space, there's a lot of open source here that is absolutely building this and baking it into who they are. There's also, you know, it is a bit of a double-edged sword. I've seen a lot of companies try and inherit chaos engineering and really go the, you know, a different direction where like the goal is not just break shit, right? And then, you know, if, if all you're doing is breaking stuff and be like, told you so, not really <laughs> helping the business. Uh, and I think there was like this weird time frame in there. And it's less so nowadays. I see it less nowadays, or at least I, I pay attention to it less. But there was definitely a, a, a place there where like SREs were creating chaos engineering teams. And then they were just going around blowing things up. And it's like, great, you can you can throw a grenade, but like, can you catch one, right? And and that's really, I think, the goal of that work. It's, it's how can you stop the grenade from hitting its intended target uh, and protect the service from itself and really kind of building that in and, and giving you those levers. And if anything, like making those levers smarter so that you don't have to like pull them, right? They're, they're just automatically switching when things are going sideways. Again, I think in, in, in the space right now, you're seeing a pretty massive evolution of that and then a shift in the, you know, I kind of hope chaos engineering as like, a buzzword goes away to some extent. <laughs> I just think about this as like resiliency within our you know applications and um, and infrastructures in general. And so I'd love to see an evolution there. And I think you, again, as more and more folks inherit cloud native, as they think about you know Kubernetes or containerization, uh, and as like the cloud providers build out these functions, this is going to be baked in you know at the at its very core. And hopefully, you know, your end developers won't even have to think about it in most cases, right? Or at least it'll become like second nature. Like, hey, we're gonna build the thing this way or the framework we're using takes advantage of these things and you know cooperates between each other and understands like when it's failing and then pulls itself out of rotation and things like that. So I, I want to get like a better understanding of what that reliability engineering looks like specifically from your perspective at Rocked because you guys are building like a really advanced UX layer that relies on the back end of other partners. And so they have to have their own reliability. It, it sounds like it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really complex to to try and ensure the reliability of every single part. And, and man, I, I just I, my mind is just running 
in a lot of circles right now. Well, welcome as I'm to discovering, what keeps me awake. Yeah, yeah, welcome, like, <laughs> welcome to what keeps me awake at night. This is uh, absolutely something that we are highly focused on as a business. You know, especially as we move further into the transaction moment, and you know, as we're seeing this massive shift of of just purchasing in general into e-commerce. You know, we're our partners and our, our you know our partner success is our success, and so we're we're kind of piggybacking on top of them, and so we're seeing just a massive amount of growth this year. Uh, you know, just on all fronts. Never mind you know our engineering team, but like the infrastructure and just the the footprint that we have and our global scale. You know, ultimately we need to be close to our customers, and our customers are global, and so we are already distributed multi-region, uh, looking at multi-cloud, and there's like a lot of technology that we're kind of layering in here and complexity that we're laying in here to protect ourselves from a resiliency standpoint you know we need to be better than anyone that we work with uh and we really hold have to hold ourselves to a higher standard so that even if they're having a problem we can protect them from from us quite frankly because you know we potentially could ddos them uh and so there's a an interesting world here where we we have to work with the engineering teams of our partners and really find a, a model that works for both and understand their systems and they need to understand ours and we come up with like individual agreements with everyone to kind of create those contracts uh, and it is a very personal experience quite frankly with with everyone we, we do integrate with and it's something that you know we spend a lot of time energy and effort thinking about uh, it has led to pretty significant rearchitectures of our technical stack uh, over the last couple of years and continues to every day right now. And we're midway through a pretty significant shift that is just intended to build resiliency. Because again, our partners have pretty high standards that they want to hold us to. You know, we agree to some pretty aggressive SLAs. Uh, and I, you know, it's always my goal here is to to make sure that we hit those, right? And that we are a good partner and that, you know, they do build that faith and trust in us. Uh, if we, you know, trust is easily lost. And that's something that, you know, I've I've grown up really truly believing and it's something that is hard to build and we've spent a lot of time and energy really building that trust and you know i don't want to i don't want a, a single misstep to completely lose that and obviously our partners i think we have a great relationships with them and they're always willing to work with us but we need to be ahead of the curve here you know the technology is evolving at a, such a rapid pace that we're, we're constantly looking at what is the latest and greatest and how can we apply it uh without being you know too risky to the business and too risky to our partners it's this really tough balance yeah. So th- this conversation is kind of reminding me of um, we've done a couple episodes with Auth Zero recently, if you're familiar with them. Oh. Yeah. So I feel like they're in kind of a similar position in a different vertical of like they've created some really advanced technology around identity and authorization. And um, they're coming in and trying to do that for other companies. Um, but they, uh, run into like build versus buy sometimes in their sales process. And I was curious, do you run into companies that are like, that hear what you're doing and they're like, oh, maybe I, I could just try to build my recommendation thing. And we, um, we do, we do. Ultimately, I think what the proof is in the pudding, right? Like we, we ultimately, it's what, what does the actual numbers say? And we are an ultra data-driven company and we let it drive really all of our decision-making. You're always going to get that, you know, Especially, I, I know that we, we do the same thing internally, right? We look at vendors and we're like, well, we could build that. And it's like, yeah, but could we? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, you're always like, oh, you know, yeah, we could probably build 50% of that, you know, in a month or two. Uh, that last 50%, that last 10% is, is everything. And it's like, that's what defines and, and makes or breaks businesses in my mind. Um, so I, I never shy away from 
at least exploring the conversation around should we build this internally or not? But at the same time, I think, you know, let the experts be the experts in certain spaces. We're really good at what we do in the optimization space and, you know, we can prove it and we have the data around it. Uh, and ultimately, you know, our product suite is so advanced and, and so complex that, you know, we can prove it in certain ways. We can say, hey, start here, create a narrative with them that says, well, we created this much uplift as a result of our recommendation engine or as a result of, you know, our, our speed and agility here. Uh, and our, you know, our, the partnerships that we're able to open up for you, uh, and then kind of transition that into a, a greater integration and you know further in stream to the the transaction. You know, these things never just happen overnight, right? They they evolve and partnerships evolve, technology evolves, and so we're we're constantly conscious of that. And we've created a suite of tools that kind of lets us follow that customer journey uh, in a way that I think is pretty unique and, and something that you know requires a lot of time and effort and energy to really think out and, and to create. And so it's, uh, again, it's something that I think really kind of sets us apart from a lot of the others in this space. So I, I understand that moving further into the transaction and uh, like getting to that point where you can add multiple things that are relevant to each other to the same cart and checkout is a very big task. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious what what is the even more beyond future after that? What what's the uh, the longest term that, that <laughs> thing you a, see? That is a good question. Uh, <laughs> one that we talk a lot about. I think there's a couple avenues that we can go there. One, I think moving into the transaction is such a we're at such an early stage you know, globally and just you know, thinking about the industry uh, in that conversation of what actually is possible there. Um, you, know, you kind of mentioned it earlier. It's like, it is all about reducing friction uh, for the end user, but creating value as well. And so I think what you're going to see is this like uh, massive uh, conglomeration of, of all these different vendors and, and you know, a seamless uh, interaction you're always going to have some of these bigger players who I think create these little bit of fiefdoms and, and you know, very much a walled garden and they say, we don't want to play nice with anyone else. We can do everything. Not naming any names here, but some of the biggest retailers in the world. Uh, and then you, you, know, you have others who are these smaller players in the, in the space, but they still represent a huge portion you know, in combination of, of the overall global market. And they're interested in creating these opportunities. Like they don't necessarily have the engineering force or the task to, to really open up. And so I think that there's an interesting thing here around mobile and web. As these technologies evolve, as the security space evolves, how can we continue to create more and more connections? Not just seem like not just saying, hey, here's a JavaScript API that you know connects this API and that API and somehow makes it all work. I think there's deeper connections here, especially from a security and privacy standpoint where you, know, you want to become more of a first-party vendor and you, you want to have very specific data sets that only apply to certain users because you know, people are protective of their data and really kind of getting a very catered experience for an end user. You, know, you saw some of this a couple of years ago in you know, some of the subscription boxes, like, oh, do you like this and this and this? And like, I think there's some, some of that data set should be influencing you know, a greater global market space of everything that you're looking at. And for the vendors who are willing to kind of share that data, there's a, a real potential here to like create a, a really unique opportunity for the end user to kind of get a super catered experience that uh, I don't think we've seen before. You know, unless you unless you live in these big walled gardens that you know everything you've purchased comes from the same vendor and like you get a box from certain individuals every day, uh, 
unless you're like that, you know, I, I think that you don't necessarily have these opportunities right now. And I see something like Rocked potentially enabling that uh, and companies in this space just kind of thinking about how do we create, you know, this global data set without, you know, being too or being very cautious of the privacy concerns there and, and everything else that kind of factors into that. Um, it's a balance. Again, it, it's going to be such, such a balance here. And I think that we're going to be very cautious around how we approach that. But I, I do see things kind of evolving in that direction. The technology that you know supports all this, yeah, it'll probably be all front end at some point. <laughs> and we'll be stuck writing weird, weird web assembly or something of that nature. You know, who knows? But at the same time, like there's a real challenge here around just wrapping your head around the scale of this data, and that's something that you know I think a company like ours really uniquely is positioned to to kind of understand. And you know, we've seen the rapid growth, especially in e-commerce, and a lot of vendors aren't really ready for that. You know that that does require a fairly deep understanding of what to collect, how to look at it, uh, how to analyze it, and then how to delete it. Right? Like use it to influence you know the model, but don't use it. You know, don't be evil with it. And so there's like always going to be a, a challenge there. And I, I think that a lot of companies don't want that to be their focus, right? They want to focus on the customer journey. They want to be thinking about how do you how do you find and explore content? How do you find, you know, a sweater, right, that you're looking for? And how do we get you to that sweater as fast as possible and make that that part of it? But then what else do you want to buy is like a much more interesting problem. And or, you know, after you get to an event, like if you don't have a car, don't show parking, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you know, you know, when you're selling a ticket or something, how do you know if a user has the car or not? Like, it's just that data set is very, very tricky to, to kind of nail down. Uh, and it's even harder to kind of attribute it to the right person and to understand that about that individual. So Tim Berners-Lee, the inventor of the World Wide Web, he also said that we'll eventually be all front-end engineers, no more back-end development. But I didn't really get that. And and you just mentioned it too. Uh what what would that look like? Like what what, what does that world look like? I I'm just trying to wrap yeah, my head around that. I listen. I I think that uh, I hope not in my in my <laughs> career we get there because uh, that sounds miserable. To say. <laughs> um, I I can see more and more of the the data processing and offloading. Uh, heading into browser, there will always be that secret sauce that companies are very protective of. And how do you, you know, make some of these decision making as and how do you, you know, get that data in and then spit out the result that you're looking for? I think you're going to see that for, for quite some time. But the, you know, the journey and, and like just being able to kind of like as bandwidth increases and we can kind of push more out there, I think there's a, an opportunity here for us to really push a lot of that end user processing. Uh, onto the individual. There's a lot of compute power out there, quite frankly, right? And uh, not having to pay, you know, a big cloud provider uh, a lot of money to to process that data would be really great. You know, from a just from thinking about my bill every month, <laughs> uh, definitely something that I'm interested in. Uh, so we'd love to push most of our data processing down into the into the browser. Uh, and then again, I think you know, as you think about creating these seamless experiences, as you combine e-commerce providers and uh, you know all these different vendors, I think that there's an opportunity there to kind of do a lot of that heavy lifting and that offload and the processing on the front end, and on the individual's users and say, well, hey, here's where the model model says, hey, you should reach out to this, this, and this, and then have that pull in those data sets. 
rather than having to correlate it on the back end and push that. I think there's a, an interesting world there. Obviously, I don't know if we'll get there. And, and I think that there's a lot of different factors at play here. Uh, there's a pretty entrenched industry that is likely not in support of this. You know, when you think about the cloud vendors, they they very much want you to continue to buy compute and services from them. And so uh, I don't see the industry making a super fashion, but Tim's a much smarter man than I am and has far more experience than I do and likely is onto something here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because he's, he's trying to build out um, like kind of a new layer on the web right now. It's it's pretty crazy stuff. I yeah. recommend looking into it. But. I believe he was at Google, right? And and I think you know you, you see some of this influence within within what Google has been doing over the last couple of years. You know, they've tried to bring all the world's information together, and I think that that's you know a pretty admirable and interesting challenge. It also gets scary, right? You know, and, and so our industry has this problem of you know how big is too big, and how much data is too much data. And, and so it's, it's definitely something I think a lot about. I, you know, I, I tend to be very conservative. <laughs> I run a NAD blocker. Uh, it's something that you know, I very much want to be cautious of as, as we build out you know, and, and rocks place in this world. And, and how can we be good partners, but at the same time be you know, protective of the end user uh, is something that's very, very you know, at the cornerstone of who I am. And uh, because as a consumer, that's what I care about. And so, you know, I, I want to be very cautious about that. And I think you're, you're seeing right now the Googles and the Facebooks and the, these bigger, large organizations start to butt up against these problems, especially, you know, from a legal standpoint, from a compliance standpoint, especially as you start thinking about the global market space. It's, uh, it's a super hard challenge and uh, requires a lot of lawyers. <laughs> so earlier when you were talking about doing your due diligence before joining Rock, you mentioned that like the culture was a big part of it for you. How do you, how would you describe the culture at Rocked? I think we, we hire explorers. I think we hire creatives, we hire engineers, we hire builders, right? And that's something that I love. I am ultra execution is everything. Delivery is everything. Like I love that. I love that mentality. But I, I also love the, you know, at a cornerstone of our culture is this, you know, this thought that we enjoy the ride. And that's something that really resonates with me because again, life is very short. And if you're not enjoying the people you're working with. And if you're not having fun with it and you're not like laughing a little bit every day, I don't know why you're doing it. I really don't. Uh, you know, I, I think that we work in technology. We can work on a lot of different things and there's uh, a lot of different opportunities out there. So finding a place that really resonates with you and, and you know, who you want to be and how, you know, who you want to work with, I think is, is the most critical piece to get right. Everything else kind of flows after that. Obviously, we, we have a, a pretty interesting technology challenge, and that certainly didn't hurt my decision making. Uh, I like being performance driven. I like the ex, you know shooting for low latency, you know skimming off milliseconds here and there just to like get that performance and eat that. I like the high scale. I love growing organizations. I think all of that you know really resonated with me personally. I also think you know there's a, an interesting thing that happens when you have a company that's you know 200 300 and you start to grow it out to that 5 600 person. It's fairly unique, you know, and it's it's something that you, I don't think many people get exposure to when you work at these companies that have 5 10 15 20,000 user individuals in the business, right? You get to be a little more nimble. You get to kind of like pivot and maneuver. And that's something that I I've really come to love at Rocks is we're not afraid of change. We're not afraid of trying things. We're not afraid of failing and getting it wrong because we course correct very quickly. And, and that's something that I think, you know, a lot of organizations kind of lose as they grow. And, or sometimes they just, it was just never part of who they were. 
And, you know, I, I love that that is so deeply ingrained in who we are as a business. That's something that, you know, I want to build an engineering culture around. I want to be, continue to push and try and explore. And we won't always get it right. And, you know, we're going to try a bunch of different things. And as the business grows, we have a lot of interesting opportunities to try a bunch of different things. And I want to take full advantage of that because like, eventually it's that one thing that sticks that you're like, this is it. This is the next you know, billion dollars in revenue for us. And that is so exciting, right? It unlocks a ton of opportunity. It creates a lot of new challenges. And again, if you're not being challenged, if you're just coming to work every day and spinning your wheels, like, what are you doing? Why bother, right? Like, let's let's go. Let's move. Let's let's do something. Let's. Uh, <laughs> I want to create the next big thing, right? Uh, and that's something that you know. Again, I think it's just intrinsically in who we are as a business. It's like deep, deeply ingrained, and uh, it's really kind of wonderful. So, how do you screen for that in hiring? That like hunger for change. It is. It is very hard. Uh, I think everyone is capable of this. I really do. I think some people have been stuck in organizations and kind of taken paths in their careers that they just haven't had the opportunity to do it. I, I think that there's, you know, everyone, if you show them that path, if you show them that door, wants to take it. I, I've never found someone in, in my career who's like, hey, I just want to come to work at nine and then leave at three and, you know, close some tickets. Like uh, very, very rarely have I ever come across anyone who's like willing to admit that. I think, you know, you see it's really just this opportunity of giving someone a chance, right? And and to to find someone who is hungry for it and to show them that door because like some people just don't even know it exists. Uh, and I really do think that you know this is something that we want to hire everyone, right? Like I want to I I just I want to create those opportunities for people to shine and and to like see them best selves and create those opportunities for for teams to just go for it, right? And so that's a it's a challenge and and obviously. I do think that we have some significant technical challenges. So we, you know, we have a high bar here, but at the same time, you know, we, ha- we hire a lot of new grads uh, and that's something that, you know, it's really just like, are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Do, are you ready for it? Like there's going to be challenges here. You're not going to know the answer to everything, but you're surrounded by people with a lot of different experiences, a lot of different backgrounds. Someone probably knows the answer. And if we don't, we'll get there together, right? Let's sit down and hash it out. Uh, and and so I, I don't necessarily think that there's a perfect candidate for any role. I think that you cater the role to the candidate and you find where they are and you understand where they are in their career and, and you create that opportunity for them and you kind of guide them through what you think you know, can potentially unlock their potential. So I, I feel like it's it's pretty challenging to create a space where people will actually feel comfortable saying, I don't know the answer to this. Well, how do, how do we do this? Yeah. Like. How do you promote that like transparency and openness? Transparency is at the core of Rocked. Uh, we have an open career ladder. Our, our, our comp bands and our, our comp uh, is, is shared with the entire organization. Every decision-making process that we go through is well-documented. Uh, we're ultra, ultra transparent about the changes that we make and how we got there. And we include our, you know, the people in those decision-making processes because there's a high degree of trust uh, amongst everyone here, and I think that that is something that you know we 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 also really value. It's something that is, is kind of intrinsic to who we are. If you, know, if you didn't have that trust, you get into these situations where like certain people make decisions, and it just comes from above, and like that never feels great, especially within the engineering org. I really want to foster that communication, right? Like, yes, there's some people here with 15, 20 years of experience, and they've been doing this a long time. 
guess what? Like some of these young kids come in and they've just got brilliant new ways of looking at problems and they come up with some brilliant ideas. And so we try and foster that communication and we put out RFCs and we ask people to like, just come in and swing, like give, give your feedback, right? And there's no wrong answer here. Like it's just a different way of thinking. It is always a challenge, right? Especially because some people have come through some pretty traumatic experiences in their career and they aren't used to that. And, you know, really working with them and, and working with our engineering leaders to kind of work with uh, individuals and, and help them, you know, understand that like, it's okay, right? It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to say, you know, stay, stick your hand up and go, I don't know. And, you know, to not fault that, right? We don't, we moved, we made a pretty significant move where we moved away from, you know, per, you know individual performance uh, bonuses to company performance bonuses. And we realized that we were just getting it wrong, right? You know, we were, we were incentivizing the wrong things and, I'd rather, you know, I think overall we want to you know, celebrate the success of the business rather than the success of the individual. That doesn't mean we don't, you know, celebrate people when they have these huge wins and we don't go, hey, this was amazing. Great job. Like we still do all that, but we want to, you know, raise the organization together rather than, you know, have heroes, right? I, I say it a lot. I don't hire heroes. I, I hire people who want to come in and grow together, right? And want to accomplish together. Uh, I think heroes burn out. I've been a hero in my career, and quite frankly, I learned some really tough lessons along the way. <laughs> uh, and you know, I, I just don't think it's uh, a good path. I don't think it's a healthy path, right? I, I want to hire, you know, collaborators. I want to hire people who see the best in everyone around them and want to help grow them. So, how do you celebrate like the little wins with uh, with your team, and like kind of promote when when something? Good we have happens. A, we have a whole channel dedicated to this where people just every day, this team did this, this individual did this, this customer gave feedback on this. Like every day uh, we celebrate the wins here. And it's actually sometimes sometimes it's it's like too much because <laughs> you can't keep <laughs> up with it. You're like, oh my God, like there's so much good stuff happening. Um, I think it's good. I think it's 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 important to do that. We have a, a pretty serious recognition system internally like where we empower every team to to kind of take the time to and then give them the funds that they need to kind of celebrate those things on a quarterly basis and and quite frankly you know it's just a matter of paying attention right it's it's you know i think it's on all of us especially your leadership teams to keep an eye out and make sure that people feel like it's so easy for someone who's like out in front of customers every day to get those accolades and whatnot but when you're like working on a back-end data system and like you know, so many of these like award systems like don't necessarily reward that. I actually think, you know, Rocked was kind of getting to a space where the company was, you know, growing so massively that the way we were rewarding things before wasn't necessarily working. And so we took a, you know, took a minute, we took a step back and we said, how do we make this better? How do we make sure that, you know, these teams without as much of a loud voice, you know, they're not as vocal, they're, you know, they're kind of, this team sits in the corner and all they'd like to do is like look at math models and that's fine and they're wonderful at it, but like no one really knows, you know, uh, what they're doing at any given time because they're very quiet about it. You want to create an opportunity for them to, to really have that win and find a way for them to celebrate for what works for them. And, and it's not a one size fits all. And every team, I think, gets to kind of decide here how they want to create that narrative. But it is on us as leaders to make sure that like, hey, are, you know, are, we, are we doing this, right? Is, are we actually applying what we're, what we're preaching? And so you know, it's, it's definitely something that we talk a lot about uh, at a leadership level of, hey, did they, you know, this team did really great and we should say something about it because it you know, it, it's super impactful to the business. And you know, it creates a, a better narrative, I think, for, the, you know, for every individual here to know that like, 
your work is noticed, right? I spend time with every team here. Uh, you know, I, I try and do that at a fairly frequent basis, just because, like, I, you know, I want to know what they're working on. I want to understand you know, what their wins were, and uh, you know, we, we use an OKR process, so every quarter we get to kind of celebrate and, and look at what did we achieve in the last couple months, and uh, I think it works out really well. Yeah, that sounds awesome, man. Um, it, I think you, you hit on something that I've thought about a lot here at our company is that, um, like, it's so much easier to like celebrate like when someone makes a sale like yeah obviously like they post that in the slack it's like oh cool we got money yeah. like then if uh my associate producer has like a killer week where he just made a bunch of stuff i mean our release schedule is fairly constant so like you don't even directly see that when yep. when something huge happens business as usual for most folks yeah and, yeah and it's but it's not like there's a lot of time energy and effort that goes into that work and i think it's important to recognize that yeah, definitely. So we are coming up on time here. Uh, before we wrap up, is there anything that we want to make sure that we we hit on before we wrap up? Anything you want to plug? I would I would say, listen, if you're looking for new opportunities, if you're interested in some pretty pretty hard technical challenges of scale, data, and just general like massive growth, uh, this is something you know I would love for you to to talk to you about. Rocked. I'd love for you to apply. And and obviously, we're doing some really interesting things here. Uh, I love it. I love coming to work every day. And, you know, it's my goal to make sure that everyone else does as well. Uh, and so, yeah, if you're looking for something new, let's chat. That's awesome. Yeah. Can can they just reach out to you directly or? Uh, listen, page? check out our careers page. It's rock.com, R-O-K-T. Uh, and, and, you know, always interested in chatting or quite frankly, yeah, email me. It's Corey at Rocked. I'm okay with that. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.